Thank you for tuning in to the Believer's Church of Johnson City podcast. We are grateful you stopped by. Regardless of where you are in your faith journey, we hope today's teaching is both challenging and also encourages you to move closer to Jesus. You can subscribe to the podcast if you want weekly messages, leave a review of your experience, and if you wish to become a giving partner, you can do so by visiting our website at believerschurchjc.com. And of course, we want to encourage you to come see us in person. We are located at 6110 Kingsport Highway in Johnson City, Tennessee. As always, we hope you enjoy today's message. We are today in part seven of our series on the Sermon on the Mount, and I'll start by saying that I've, I have a lot of, I have a lot of wonderful memories of concluding recovery meetings in Ashland, Kentucky, with addicts and alcoholics, felons of all kinds, and people who had suffered multiple forms of trauma. And it's just a, as you can imagine, and this really, this really developed the way that I ended up pastoring and the approach that I took, but it's a very authentic environment, as you can imagine. And I was in this environment every single Monday night for a little over two years, and then a little bit less as we started as having more kids and, and, and work and things like that started to pick up. And as I was getting better and, and more confident, I guess you could say, about my, my issues that I was having uh, with alcohol... But at these meetings, and I'm, I'm sure it's the exact same way now there in Ashland, Kentucky, we would conclude by joining hands, or sometimes we'd, we'd put our hands on one another's shoulders and we would pray. And there was a very common prayer that we would always pray, and this is a prayer I'm going to guess that even some of you that, that didn't grow up in church or haven't been around church very much are probably familiar with. And the prayer goes something like this, and we have a, a, a great span of many different versions that we could read this prayer in, but it goes something like this. Our Father in heaven, how will it be your name? Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who have sinned against us. Save us from the time of trial or as, or as some translations say, deliver us from temptation, and deliver us from evil, or as some translations say, the evil one. For the kingdom, the power, and the glory are yours now and forever. Amen. Again, you don't necessarily had to have even spend, uh, spent a whole lot of time in church to be familiar with that prayer. And it's also something, if you were on a football team or a basketball team or in some other kind of organization growing up, it was something that people would huddle together and people would pray. Now, I don't know in, in, in recovery meetings at that time that we all knew and understood exactly what we were saying. I think a, a lot of us did because we were in a relationship with God and that was something that we, we were seeking to grow for other people, it was uh, something that whenever we got together, they just prayed and had recited by memory, but maybe it wasn't something that was deeply personal to them. But I do believe that God heard us and that God was with us as we prayed that important prayer. So today, again, we're in the seventh part of a 10-week series on the most important sermon of all time, the Sermon on the Mount. 
We said that this is the most important sermon of all time. It's lengthy through Matthew chapter 5 through 7. It's also covered to a lesser extent in Luke. But we've called this the most original teachings of Jesus that we have, that we often also refer to as the Jesus ethics or the Jesus ethical system. So what to do and what not to do are found in this sermon in one way or another. Last week, we discussed the problem with showy giving, showy prayer, and showy fasting, to go do these things in front of other people, or to talk about other people, to talk to other people about how much you're struggling and how hungry you are because you're so spiritual and you've been fasting for two days, or to be that person that just stops in front of everyone and starts praying and has this amazing, like, loud prayer, you know, all the right words to say. You grew up in church and you just want everyone to know how good you can pray. Or probably even more obvious than those two is some of us who give. And we have to tell everybody about the poor person that we helped. We have to tell everybody about the hospital that we stopped by. We have to tell everybody about all of these good things as individuals that we are doing. And Jesus talks about how this is a problem. So Jesus spends a little bit of time talking about giving uh, to the needy, uh, which we should do. Jesus also spends a little bit of time talking about fasting, which we should do, but he spends more time talking about prayer. And what he does is when he starts talking about these things, we took a break that was a middle passage last week, and then we read a little bit further down. Well, this prayer that we're talking about today, the Lord's Prayer, that is that middle passage that we skipped over last week that we want to look at a little bit closer today because I think a question that a lot of people have is, how do you pray? All right, how is it that I am actually supposed to pray? I know that I talk to God, or maybe the case for some of you, I don't feel like I can talk to God. I'm a little bit too intimidated to talk to God. I'm really not sure if God is there. Whenever I start to talk to God, I feel very, very distracted. So I'm really not sure what to do with all of those things, okay? Now, some of this, I want you to know this. We have this spring practice and a fall practice. Our fall practice is going to be on hospitality. So when we look at spiritual formation or becoming students of Jesus in the fall, we're going to spend six weeks five weeks maybe, five or six weeks, talking about hospitality. We did scripture in the spring. Next spring, 2022, we're going to talk a lot about prayer. Six to ten weeks, we're going to talk about prayer. So today, this is really just a little bit of an introduction, and some of this you guys will hear again about the importance of prayer, especially if you feel like your prayers are not getting answered, you prayed for, prayed for something and God let you down, you've been praying through something and you just kind of question if God is, is hearing your prayer, you're not exactly sure if you're praying the right way. So to become students of Jesus through prayer, we are looking at the Lord's Prayer, which also is probably the most famous part or most known part of the most famous or known sermon of all time, meaning that it's very important. It's in Matthew chapter 6, verses 9 through 15, and I'm going to read this one more time. In fact, this could end up very clunky, and if it does, that's perfectly fine, but let's try to read this together. All right, so Ryan, pull that back up, that passage. This is the Lord's Prayer. Some of you know it by memory. You may not know it by memory specifically in this translation, but let's try uh, to, to read this together. We're going to start right now. Our Father in heaven, how will it be your name? Your kingdom come, 
your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Save us from the time of trial and deliver us from evil. For the kingdom, the power, and the glory are yours now and forever. Amen. All right, so the sermon does have, like the whole sermon on the mount, a strong symbolic structure. And the Lord's Prayer, get this, is dead in the center. If you were to take Matthew 5 and Matthew 7 and you were to look at it organically in like a poetic way, the Lord's Prayer is actually directly in the center. Now, I don't know if this is on purpose or if this just happens to be a coincidence. But what I do consider this prayer to be uh, is the crescendo or the crescendo or the most important part, the high point of this entire sermon. And the reason for this is because he's teaching the disciples how to pray. In fact, if we were to look at Luke's account, the disciples actually ask him. Now, there are a zillion things that the disciples could have asked Jesus throughout his ministry. But one of the few questions that they actually do ask, now a lot of other people, a lot of the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the scribes, the doubters are asking Jesus tons of questions. But one of the few questions that the disciples actually ask, which makes it very important, is teach us how to pray. So what Jesus then does is he teaches them how to pray, which means he is also today teaching us how to pray. And let me also say this about prayer. For some of you that say to yourselves, I just don't pray good enough, or I would be very uncomfortable praying in front of other people. Prayer is something publicly that makes me feel very intimidated. Let me say this. Prayer is supposed to be very, very simple. We are supposed to approach. Now, is there a certain way that we are supposed to pray? Yes. Do we get that wrong sometimes? Yes, we do. And we'll talk about that today, specifically what that looks like. For example, if you're praying for the perfect soulmate, the Porsche, the perfect job, you might be praying the wrong way. And we'll talk kind of about what that looks like in just a second. Okay? But it's supposed to be a very, very simple thing. Instead of, how will it be your name, perfect God, calling God by four Hebrew names, almighty, we bestow thee. You, you've heard how some people pray. Sometimes you just have to go to God and say, I have messed up, and I don't know what to do. It's looking like I might lose my family. It's looking like this, this job that was a certain thing for the last 13, 14 years could be in limbo. I cannot stop looking at pornography. I cannot stop drinking. I have anger issues. Anybody else? I pray this one a lot. I have anger issues. Thank you, sir. I'm struggling with things. I need to deal with this. That's the way that we pray. And that's the kind of intimacy that we need to be able to pray with. Instead, we often pray in such a distracted way, God, give me this, grant me this, give me this, give me that. Often this genie in a bottle 
uh, kind of praying. All right? So the Lord's Prayer actually includes seven petitions. You can write these down uh, today if you want to. If you need to use your Connect card, there's a pen. If you just want to take some pictures of some, uh, some of the slides, that's perfectly fine. But if you want to remember this, the Lord's Prayer actually has seven petitions. I'm just going to skim through these. We might spend a little bit more time with these in, in a series that we go into or our, our, our spring practice on prayer. We might look at the Lord's Prayer a little bit closer. But today I just want to go through these. And as we do this, we're going to see how each one of these petitions is consistent with everything else that we've looked at in the Sermon on the Mount. All right, it fits like a glove. It's perfect. All right, so this is the first one. This is what, what Jesus says the first one is. Uphold the holiness of your name. All right, so petition one is uphold the holiness of your name. This first petition marks a recognition of the holiness of God and loyalty to God or acknowledging God's kingship. It is saying as we pray, what we're doing at the very beginning of our prayer is we are acknowledging that God is God and we are not. We have no control whatsoever. We're taking into consideration what we sing about when we talk about the cross, when we talk about the omnipotence, when we talk about the perfection of God, the all-knowing, all-seeing, all-powerful. What we're doing is we open up our prayer as we are recognizing that He is God, that there is amazing work that is going on among us, and it has absolutely nothing to do with us. Something else that's really strong in this form of praying is the gratitude that we are pouring out. Whenever we say, you are God and I am not, immediately this should tell us that prayer is not about us and that God should come first in everything that we do. So we're acknowledging the power of God. We're acknowledging the importance of who God is. We're giving God that kingship and that lordship in our lives. But instead, our prayers usually don't start that way. They start this way, help me. You know, that's usually how they start. They usually are directed at us instead of directed toward him. So I'm going to make you this promise. If you're acknowledging this kingship, if you're acknowledging what he is according to Scripture, you're going to ease into that prayer in a much more relaxed way because you know and recognize he already has everything taken care of. That job that you're worried about, that person that you're dating and you're just not sure if it's going to work out, you're in your today, God's in your tomorrow. God already has it taken care of. And that's what you're acknowledging whenever you lift up his name. Petition number two is this. Bring in your kingdom. All right, now that may sound like preachy, Bible, hard to understand language, but this is what this is saying. Bring in your kingdom and not my kingdom. Not my way of doing things. So if we look at the ethics of the Sermon on the Mount, turn the other cheek. Love your neighbor, forgive other people, deal with your anger, continue to go the extra mile. If we're looking at these things and we're taking this serious, what we're saying is, God, this world is broken. This world is a mess, and I am part of it. 
So what I'm asking is that you usher in this new way of life. You usher in the beauty of your story. You usher in this new thing that Republicans and Democrats cannot bring us. You usher in this thing that modern psychology cannot bring us. This wholeness, this completeness, this shalom, the way things are done according to you, the way that I am supposed to be among other people. I'm asking you to usher in this alternative pioneering community, this way of doing life differently. God, we know that we've really messed things up a lot, and people look at the church often in a very negative way, but that does not make your kingdom and your glory and your righteousness a negative thing. We are praying that God ushers in and brings in that, that, his kingdom. Now, this is probably the most important part of the prayer, and it's also the most difficult part of the prayer. And here it is, petition three, so that your will is done. So that your will is done. This is very, very hard for people. Most of us, our prayers center around, let's just be real honest for just a second. The majority of us, our prayers, when we go to God on our, on our way to work, in the car, before we go to bed, in the shower, if you're more intentional about prayer and you have like your, your, your space that you get alone and pray, the way that a lot of people pray is, what can you do for me? God essentially, essentially is, is to answer your wish list. God essentially exists to be your personal psychologist when you're going through difficult things. And I'm not saying that you don't read the Psalms. I'm not saying that you don't go to God for comfort. You do. That's the first place you go. But if it's the only time you go to him, that's where the problem is. And that's the way the majority of the people are. And the reason for that is because their prayers are focused on themselves. God, give me that relationship. God, give me that job. Here's a big one. God, please provide an absence of pain. That's what the majority of people want. God, please take care of this depression. We're going to be getting into a mental health series after this one is over. I'm very excited about it. God's already started to, to speak to me about some of the content and some of the scripture and some of the things that I'm working on. But a different way to pray, uh, pray through this situation is instead of, God, remove this depression. God, uh, remove this anxiety. God, remove this obsessiveness, that I, these, these intrusive thoughts that I'm having. God, remove all of these things from my life. The way that God is telling us, that Jesus is telling us that we're supposed to pray is show me what your will is through this dark place. Show me what it, what it is that you want through this dark place, and I'm going to make you a promise today. When you walk through with God in the dark and in the difficult moments of your life, and you see what he wants to do through you and through experiences that you go to, go through, it is always going to be better than the simple removal of something that you don't like. It's always going to be better. Prayer is centered, and the Lord's prayer is centered, not on getting everything that you want, but on getting the God of the prayer. And that is a very hard concept for people, because that's not how we pray. 
The majority of the time it is, what can you do for me? And these prayers are always going to have, have problems. So, so how many of you regularly pray and say at least once before you conclude your prayer? Maybe it's five minutes, maybe it's two hours. But how many of you, when you pray, you say, your will be done in this situation? Man, I made a mess of this situation. I don't know what I'm going to do. There is the potential that things are going to end very bad for me, but your will be done. I don't like that, that, by, that I could possibly have to move because of ministry. I, I have planted myself here in East Tennessee or wherever you may be. I don't feel like I should have to go there. There's nothing there. I don't know why you would be sending me there, but your will be done. How does Jesus model this in Gethsemane when he's going to be crucified? When the text tells us that he is sweating great drops of blood. And he says, remove this cup from me. Nonetheless, and you were on his mind in this moment, not my will, but your will be done. Now, that will always be a harder prayer to pray than even the prayers that we pray over the relationships and the marriages that we care about or the jobs that we feel that we really need. Your will be done. I'm just going to go ahead and tell you, if this church really learns how to pray, your will be done, it will change this church. If you learn how in your life to pray, your will be done, it will change your marriage. If you learn how to pray, your will be done, it will change you in miraculous ways. So the disciples, they probably don't like this whenever they're hearing this. You know, well, teach us how to pray. You're supposed to pray for God's will to be done. Not for you to be taken care of, Matthew, not for you to get the things that you want or need, Peter. Not so that everything goes your way, Thomas. But so that the will of God is fulfilled in your life so you can experience this perfect peace. Okay, the next one, petition four, is this. And this is really important. I think sometimes it's overlooked. Give us the bread we need for today. All right, give us the bread that we need today. Now, this petition marks a recognition of both physical and spiritual needs, all right? Both physical and spiritual needs. What's lost on us is the poverty of first century Palestine. When he says this prayer, literally what he is saying on the basis of the physical needs is that some people are going without. I know that most of us in here, before you came in here this morning, you had a cup of coffee you know, maybe out in the lobby or you stopped to get some coffee or you had a donut or you had breakfast or you, you had these things. But a lot of people don't. Even in our country, they don't. So it's these basic physical needs, but also it's the spiritual needs that we have. This is consistent with so much of the sermon as we recognize the spiritual poverty that is discussed in the Beatitudes. And listen, there is nothing wrong with praying for things that you need. There is, that's not a selfish prayer, to pray for things that you need. Now, you might be getting into selfish territory if you're praying for things that you want. If you're praying for maybe a six or seven figure income. If you're praying for a brand new car. But whenever you're praying, whenever your heart is before God and you're just asking diligently, meet my needs, so that my needs are met. There is nothing wrong with praying that because God wants to meet 
your needs in return. And of course, we're primarily talking about physical needs, but the spiritual needs component is so important here. God, I am struggling with this in my life. I am in a dark moment in my life. I don't really understand how to be humble the way that I'm supposed to. I don't understand how to forgive that person that wronged me. I don't really understand how to do these things. I am spiritually deficit without you. And I have to have you work in these ways. So give us today our daily bread. And then petition five, and this is a hard one. We've been here in two of the seven weeks. We've been specifically here. Forgive us for the ways we wronged you, just as we forgive those who have wronged us. There are two things going on in this prayer, and I'm going to tell you what I believe. I believe this with all my heart. I don't believe you can effectively pray if these two things aren't here. So this is the first. I don't believe that you can effectively pray without a repentant heart. If you know that there is deep sin that is going on in your life, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense to start asking God to do things for you. So open confession, and, and the way that I don't start my prayers with how would be your name. Often the way that I start my prayer is, God, please forgive me for where I failed you, especially as I'm getting up into the afternoon. Father, I, I want to be clean in my prayer. I want to be seen as righteous before you. Father, please cleanse and forgive me. Fresh repentance, fresh confession should be a part of every single prayer that we pray. But something you guys have heard me say over and over in this series is the second part, and it's that you can't be right with God and wrong with people. It's impossible. So the second part of this prayer is, it doesn't make sense to be holier than thou and praying these prayers when you hate your next door neighbor, or you hate your kid, or you hate your parent, or you hate your ex. It is very difficult to pray. It is very difficult to find yourself in a posture of humility when you're harboring that kind of resentment and hatred inside of you. So you see these two prayers, they kind of really, really go together. Uh, th these two parts that I'm talking about with forgiveness. We need forgiveness for our struggles, for the sin that we are in, knowing that our righteousness is filthy rags, knowing that we're never going to be perfect. But God, forgive me as I come to you, but also because you have the power to forgive me and can forgive me of some pretty messed up stuff, help me to live in forgiveness with others. It will completely change your prayer life, as some of you are starting to think, prayer's not a lot of fun. Prayer's not a lot of fun if I'm having to do all this. And please, listen, let's not get legalistic. Let's not, for those that are rule followers in here, don't try to follow every single one of these every single time that you pray, all right? But what Jesus is saying is that these are the elements. This is what's important. Number six, don't lead us into temptation, one thing that you have to remember that's very important is that Jesus, in this teaching, he has just literally left the 40 days of temptation in the wilderness with the enemy. He's just left that. So for those of you that may really struggle with, with lust, for some of you that may really struggle with the things that you watch, 
For some of you that may really struggle with, with, with anger, we'll use that one again. You're constantly having to pray because you often can't see for yourself the situations that you're walking into. Do not lead me into a situation that's going to hurt me. Please help in every direction that I walk to be following you. Because you could be a person in here and you say, well, I've, I've got this down. I'm an expert on prayer. I've been praying for years. I already know this stuff. I've prayed some of this stuff before. How many like celebrity pastors on TV and online do you see fall week after week after week because they've been led into temptation? How many times do we really see that played out on a global scale? This stuff is real. And it's really coupled with this last one, which is rescue us from the evil one. Rescue us from the evil one. That sounds kind of naive. Uh, the belief in Satan or the devil, you know, in, in the 21st century with, with everything that we understood. Uh, the poet Charles Baudelaire, I've shared this with you before, he said the greatest trick the devil ever pulled was convincing the world that he didn't exist. If you don't believe in spiritual warfare, if you don't believe that there is darkness in this world, and if you don't believe that if that's neglected, this church will be held back, you're wrong. I'm going to tell you something, and I'm just being, just being as transparent as I possibly can without going into personal detail. The times in my life, when I, when I started here full-time after October, after our worship night, whenever we were obedient about moving to Tennessee, there were times that my life personally felt like it was being ripped to shreds because of the, cho of the choice to follow, because of the choice to step into that difficult obedience. Now, a lot of times in my life also, like some of you have probably done as well, I've taken a step back. Wait, God, maybe that's too much. I, I can't give you know, that much to the church. I can't follow through in, in, in that area if you're calling me into ministry. I can't give up that particular sin. I have found that whenever I've been in those moments, I felt like I'm going crazy inside, but I've still been able to maintain that comfort that didn't lead to adversity in my marriage and my financial situation and inner confusion and doubt. This hedge of protection prayer is absolutely central. So I've just thrown a ton of stuff at you guys, all right? And again, there's no way that you're going to be able to take all seven of those. And, and I think if you, if you try to take every one of those and pray those in order, I think it even has the ability to mix up the essence of your, the communication with God if you feel like you're trying to follow rules. So let me say it this way. As I look at this prayer, this critical model of prayer, there are four things that I see here. And these are maybe the four things that you really do need to focus on in the strongest possible way. The first is this. Place God and his plan at the forefront of our lives. Okay? Place God and his plan at the, at the forefront of our lives. All right? So this is the your kingdom come, your will be done, how will it be your name part of the prayer. All right? It's not about you. 
And the sooner you understand that, the better your life is going to be. It's not about you, and it's never been about you. It's always been about the glory of God. What is it that God wants for my life? You were created for a purpose, and you might be missing that. Place God and his plan at the forefront of your life. If you go to prayer and if you start to ask for all these things, Father, let your will be done in my life. Number two, meet our needs and not our wants. Your needs keep you alive. Your wants often pull you into sin. Nothing wrong with praying that your needs are met. Number three, live Forgiven, a perpetual sense of the importance of repentance, and live well with other people. Forgiving yourself, and then forgiving other people. And then number four, and you can only do this. You can only conquer through the power of prayer. Avoid evil and temptation. Now, I'm going to tell you something this morning. For years, I didn't pray. And I believe I've mentioned this before. The only time that I ever prayed for about seven or eight years is if I had done drugs to a certain level that I felt like I was going to die like nobody else was around, and I would pray, God, please help me not to die like this. Please help me not to die in this state only to do the same thing the very next day. So, that's, a, that's quite a drastic prayer, but who is that prayer focused on? Me. It's often the same way when we pray for all of these things. Like, this is going to really upset some people because you ask me to pray for you, and you say, pray that I get the job. I'm talking about some of the people in here, and I'll say, okay. And you know what I do to you? Whenever I go pray, I say, Father, if it's your will for them to have this job, if it's going to bring them the closest to you, give them this job, and if not, help this situation to fall apart. You might not want to ask me for prayers anymore. Or if you ask me, pray pray for this test that I'm very stressed about. Pray for this new relationship. I'm always going to do it, always. I try to put it in my phone. I try to remember it. And the times that I do forget, I feel absolutely horrible. But whenever I do pray these things, I pray God's will because I want what's best for you in your life. Not for you to get the job that's going to make you all the money so you can leave God behind, if if that's what happens. Not so you can pass the test to get into this particular school and completely miss God but so that you can experience the fullness of what you were created for. So place God and his plan at the forefront of your life. Meet our needs and not our wants. Live forgiven and forgive others. And avoid evil and temptation. So as I look back at my life, uh, recently, recently sober, you know, whenever, whenever all of this, this happened about eight years ago, and I mentioned reciting the words at the, at the Lord's, of the Lord's Prayer at the end of these meetings, at that time in my life, do you know what I was essentially asking? 
and what the desire of my heart was. I wanted God's plan at the forefront of my life because I had really, I don't know, I don't know what comes first, alcohol or selfishness. It's kind of a chicken and egg thing. But there's a, there, there was a dynamic that went on within me that put me first in every situation. And for the first time in my life, I was really praying a different way to put God at the forefront of my life, uh, to meet my basic needs. And at that point, it really was to try to, to, try to keep my marriage together, uh, to try to make sure that after the, the possibility of DUIs and things like that, that I would be able to stay sober and keep my job. Uh, some of those kinds of things is what I was praying. Uh, live forgiven and forgive others. Uh, a, a regular act of repentance in my heart as far as my prayers were concerned. A desire to live at peace with others was also part of the recovery process. And to avoid evil and temptation, to not fall back into the same pitfalls that I had. I say this uh, often to people outside of church, but there was this bar on the way to Ashland, Kentucky called Fat Patties that I used to drink in. And talking about hamburgers, not a woman or anything like that, all right? So passed it, passed it all the time. Best hamburgers in the world, and they had a lot of micro-brews. All right, so I passed it on Monday nights, and I would think, I could go in there, because this is what the irrational, addicted mind says. I could go in there, and I could have a drink, and nobody would know. This is on the way to meetings. And... I, I, I never did that because I'd started to learn, you've never had one drink in your life. <laughs> so everybody's going to know. Because Beth could tell when she was talking on the phone with me that I'd been drinking. I mean, that was all it took. So I would, I would just, I don't want to go. I'm, it's Monday, I'm tired. And then on the way home, it was like this refreshing feeling. Like a lot of you feel on Sundays whenever you leave church. Pastors don't always get to feel that because they're, they have a slightly different role. But that feeling of, okay, I can do this the rest of my week. And it was always concluded with that, with that prayer. So how will your lives change if your prayers shift in this direction? We could take these, this, this formula that we're looking at. You can pull it back up, guys. That this formula here that we're looking at, that you can, you can pull the, the prayer back up. I'm sorry, not the prayer, but the, the four. There we go. Maybe, maybe not. Anyway, let me, let me, there we go. So place God and his plan at the forefront of our lives. If you really just start focusing on that essential piece, the rest of the prayer comes together. It does come together over time. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for, for taking care of us, for providing for us in, in what is turning into another weird season of life. We, we trust that you are, uh, that the work that's going on at Believer's Church is you and not us, and that we are constantly seeking that, that we are asking for your will to be done among us, not that we're trying to follow some program-driven ministry or what the next cutting-edge church is doing, uh, but simply trying to trust in you to feel the heartbeat and the presence of God in our midst. We want you and nothing else, and we know that that will always satisfy we pray in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. We want to thank you again for listening to the Believer's Church podcast. Make sure you join us next week as we continue in this series. Also, we'd love a chance to connect with you. Make sure you visit BelieversChurchJC.com and enjoy the rest of your week.